today we are going to bring to conclusion our series through the Sermon on the Mount, which covers Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Today we are in Matthew chapter 7, and we will be reading verses 24 through 29 of Matthew chapter 7. If you remember with me, just in brief overview, Jesus in this sermon where he has crowds gathered before him on a hillside is really stressing two things. He's talking about how does a individual person, how does a worshiper enter into the kingdom? And then he's giving us portraits of what it looks like in very practical ways For a person to be right with God. Now, remember for an Old Testament worshiper, everything pointed toward the kingdom. And by the time of the end of the writing of the Old Testament and the 400 years between the end of the writing of the Old Testament and the beginning of Jesus' ministry, people in a growing way were looking for the kingdom. And by that, they were looking for fulfillment of God's covenant promises to Israel. That he would give them a land that would go from the brook of Egypt to the great river, to the Euphrates. A land of promise. And over that land, a descendant of David, according to 2 Samuel 7, will reign over that land forever and ever. And so Israelites were looking for the kingdom and the one, this descendant of David, who would reign over the kingdom, they refer to as Messiah, which is the Hebrew word for anointed one. That is equivalent to the Greek word Christos or Christ. So Israel was looking for the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. And as Jesus is teaching on this hillside, He is slowly demonstrating that he is the Messiah, the anointed one. He is the one for whom Israel was waiting. He is God's son. In fact, 2 Samuel 7 refers to this anointed king who would reign over David's kingdom forever and ever as the son of God. And Jesus is demonstrating He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is God's Son. In this teaching in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. And as he comes to the end of the section, Jesus gives four warnings. And they come in couplets. He he gives a warning about two paths. He gives a warning about two trees. He gives a warning about two claims. And today in verses 24 through 29, we see a warning about two houses. One is built on the rock. The other is built on sand. And in all four of these warning examples, Jesus is teaching a parallel truth. Those who enter the narrow gate are those who hear Jesus' words and his claims and put their trust in him. 
Those who are going to build on the rock are those who are going to hear Jesus' claims and put their trust in him. Those who go around the narrow gate and just go down the the wide path through the wide gate, Jesus says they are headed for destruction. And today he's going to say that those who build the house of their life on sand are only going to find that their life is going to suffer a great fall. Let's read the verses out loud together. I'll read, you can follow along in your copy of the Bible. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and yet it did not fall for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Jesus is going to describe his listeners, really, as those being part of one of two categories. There's one group of people who hear Jesus' claims of who he is, and they believe in him. They put their trust in him and obey his word. And there's others who hear Jesus' claim, and yet they set it aside and continue to think That they can be a good enough person, they can do enough good things, they can be quote unquote spiritual enough somehow to earn merit with God and enter his kingdom. And Jesus compares these two people today as those who build on the rock and those who build on sand. I have a hunting buddy, hunted with him for years who's very devout in his desire and pursue to live a good life. He wants to do everything that he can to make sure that he gets to heaven. And he does good things. On one of our trips, he suddenly realized That he forgot to go to a special service that was held at his church. And he immediately became shaken. Because in missing that service, he felt like he had done something that would possibly cause him not to go to heaven. And so he lives his life always feeling like he has to do one more thing. He has to perform in a certain way. He has to do this and this and this and this in order to be good enough to enter the kingdom, to get into heaven. But the problem is he always lives in fear. And he doesn't recognize that he will never do enough good things to earn entrance 
into the kingdom. Remember what Jesus said right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5 verse 3? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus meant by that is blessed are those who recognize they are broken spiritually. They cannot enter the kingdom on their own merit. They realize that they are broken. And the only way to enter the kingdom is to recognize that we don't deserve it. My friend is still trying to earn his way. And ultimately, he's miserable. And ultimately, he, unless he puts his trust in Jesus Christ, is going to be the man described here as the one who has built his life on sand. So Jesus, at the very end of this teaching time, this time, the Sermon on the Mount, wants to give one final warning. So he says, therefore. Look at verse 24. Therefore, I'm drawing this to a close and I want to leave you with this thought. Therefore. And he's going to begin by talking about the wise person. The wise person is the one pictured here. As the person who builds a house on the rock. The wise person believes Jesus' words and puts them into practice. Does them. And we're going to talk about what that means in a few minutes. The wise person is the person who enters the pathway to the kingdom through the narrow gate. Through Jesus himself. And so Jesus begins with the final of four warnings about who's going to enter the kingdom. And he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now we're going to say that there's two people pictured here. One builds on a rock. The other builds on sand. They both are going to face a fierce storm. Verse 25 and verse 27 sound identical. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, slammed against the house. But the person who built on the rock, it says, it did not fall. For it had been, it had been founded on the rock. And while every person on the face of the earth faces storms. I think ultimately what Jesus is talking about here is the same thing he's been talking about in all four of these warnings. It's not just an everyday challenge of life, but it's actually what he talked about when he talked about entering through the narrow gate and the wide gate when he said that the wide gate leads to destruction. And every person is going to stand before God as judge. And here, Jesus is saying that only the person who believes in Jesus, who puts his or her trust in Jesus Christ and does what Jesus has been teaching here about himself, that is the only person that will stand. You remember... uh, uh, those of you who grew up in Sunday school, you, you probably were thinking about the song that 
goes along with this passage about the wise men built his house upon the rock and the rains came down and the floods came up. My favorite part of the song is when we get to the foolish man. And the foolish man built his house on the sand and the rains came down and the floods came up and then the house on the sand, what is it? Went splash. I love that part as a kid. You know, any anything to kind of wake things up a little bit. Well, here, the wise man, his house doesn't go splat, does it? No, it stands firm. Why? Because Jesus says, this is the one who heard the words of mine and acts on them. My grandpa started farming in the 1930s on a very small 120-acre farm in Adair County, Iowa. And in its day, there was a very small house, probably the smallest of all the buildings, a little one-stall garage, a nice barn, a machine shed, a hen house, and a brooder house. All of those are gone except the little house. Back by the machine shed and the uh, hen house was a hand-dug well that my grandpa and his brothers dug, I think, in about the 1930s, lined with bricks. And I used to look at that as a kid thinking, oh, life must have been so hard digging that whole thing by hand. Now, at the farm... There's a lot of granite, red granite. In fact, every year it works its way up and every year, you know, they would have to pick up rock. It's beautiful. In fact, I brought quite a bit of it to my house just to kind of have a memory of the farm and I have it laid out in our flower beds and in different places around our home. What if my grandpa, as he was digging that well, this, you know, July, central Iowa, hot, humid, digging, digging, digging. My grandmother coming out probably with some water for the men. What if they got down pretty far and then they just hit rock? I mean solid rock. Just a sheet of granite. Be pretty discouraging if you're digging a well. But if you're digging, if you want to build, oh, that'd be fantastic to say, I have a foundation that's solid granite. Look at this, it's just solid rock. My house will stand because of the solid foundation underneath it. And what Jesus is saying is this. The person who is wise realizes that the only place that a person can truly anchor their life is in the person of Jesus Christ. The only way a person can truly find foundation for their life is through faith in the person of Jesus Christ. It's the only way. And here Jesus says, the person who is wise is like the wise men who builds on rock. And the wise person is also described as the one who hears these words of mine 
and acts on them. Let's think just a second about what Jesus has said about himself in this sermon. Remember back in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish but to fulfill. What Jesus is saying by that is this. That the entire Old Testament points to him. It's actually about him. He goes on in the sermon and talks about the fact that even though they will suffer when people follow him through the narrow gate, they will find life. And then he talks about the fact that he is the judge and savior. If you remember, we saw in chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. There are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow or difficult. That leads to life. There are few who find it. He went on in verses 21 through 23 and says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You see, Jesus is the narrow gate. And it's only those who enter the narrow path through him that find life. Well, Jesus goes on in comparing to the wise men, he describes the foolish man in verses 26 and 27. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And he goes on and describes the storm again as the rain falling, the floods came, the winds blew, slammed against the house and it fell. And great was its fall. And I think what Jesus is saying is this. It's parallel to the other three examples that he gave, the other three warnings. When the great fall of the house on the sand is parallel to what Jesus said in verse 13, that the way is broad that leads to destruction. Remember Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 25 verse 34. He said the king will say to those on his right. Come you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. But at the end of that section of verse 46. He talks about those who will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous into eternal life. And Jesus here is giving a solemn warning. It's a warning about two groups of people. One group of people enter a narrow gate on a difficult path through faith in the person of Jesus Christ. Everybody else thinks that somehow they can still earn merit with God. They think that somehow their spirituality qualifies them for the kingdom. And Jesus is saying that there's going to be some very somber and surprised people. Because there are many on that path. 
And they've heard Jesus teach. But as fools, they choose not to believe. The foolish person, pictured by the person who builds a house on the sand, wants to appear spiritual without believing in Jesus. Years ago, I went, took my boys when they were still in our home to a colonel's game. And we went to the colonel's game with a buddy of mine from my Rotary Club. And he had his kids along and I had my kids along. And one of his children found a gospel tract on the, on the ground in the seats. And his child picked up that tract and brought it to his dad and says, Dad, what is this about? And his dad just took a very brief glance at it and said, Oh, it's one of those pamphlets that says that you can only go to heaven by believing in Jesus. Just throw it away. You see, I was surprised at the fact that on a brief glance, he knew that message. He knew what that pamphlet, as he called it, was talking about. And yet, even though he recognized it, and he actually knew what the message of the pamphlet was, he told his child to discard it. And Jesus is saying here that it's not enough just to hear about his claims. Hearing isn't enough. The foolish man hears, but does not act upon them. You know, there are several verses in the Bible that affirm to us That Jesus is the only way to be right with God. In the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2 verses 5 and 6 I think are some of the clear, some very clear verses that talk about Jesus being the only way to be right with God. And it says this, for there's one God and one mediator. Another way of thinking about a mediator is a bridge. Also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. So there's only one bridge to God, and that's Jesus Christ. The author of the book of Hebrews talks about this great storm in a sense. And the fact that one day, each and every one of us will die. And we will stand before Jesus Christ as judge. And it tells us in Hebrews chapter 9 for 27. And and inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once. And after this comes judgment. You know, in today's Christian circles... People don't really want to think about judgment very much. But it's so important to Jesus that here in his very last warning to his listeners, he is clearly saying you've got a choice to make. Either you believe my claims that I am making and enter the kingdom through me because he's already said you can't be righteousness, you cannot be righteous enough on your own to earn entrance into the kingdom. Or you hear what I say and then just ignore it. I think some of the clearest verses 
that I like to share with people about our need to put our trust in the person of Jesus Christ in order to be right with God are found in the in the book of 1 John chapter 5 verses 11 through 13. And the testimony is this that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Very simple. I either put my trust in the person of Jesus Christ, believing that he is God, that he died on the cross and for the for sin of the world and rose again from the dead. And when I put my trust in him... His payment for my sin is credited to the account of my life. Or I just go on thinking that I can be a good enough person to somehow make myself acceptable before God. But there's a problem. How do I ever know I've done enough? Just just like my hunting buddy. He lives in fear. Oh, I forgot to go to church. You want to know a little an aside that it was always hard for me to get adjusted to? Is like when you're at the grocery store or something and, and somebody wasn't in church that day and you run into them and, and they're kind of embarrassed. And I, it's kind of funny, but I kind of feel like just putting my arm around them and saying, you know what, just relax. It's just me. We're okay. But oh, but for some, you know, it's embarrassing, but what if you think your salvation depends on it? Like if I miss, And if I died, I won't go to heaven. That's pretty scary. And there's so many people on this wide path thinking that they have to perform, do something, be a good person, do things for other people, be morally upright in order to enter God's kingdom. And Jesus' message all through this sermon has been, uh, sorry, but... Unless your righteousness is greater than the scribes and Pharisees, it's not good enough. Which means none of us are good enough. You know, some of the most somber verses, I think, that talk about rejecting Jesus Christ are found in Paul's writing in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Very, very clear again. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm going to start reading in verse 6. For after all, it's only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. And to give relief to you who are afflicted. And to us as well. When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven. With his mighty angels in flaming fire. Dealing out retribution. And then he lists two groups. To those who do not know God. That person in the try the rainforest of Irian Jaya. And to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. That's the person who's heard the good news of Jesus and said, Ah, sorry, it's not for me. What's the penalty? These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. Away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. To Go around the narrow gate to ignore the person of Jesus Christ is to set oneself on a pathway 
to eternal destruction in a place that the New Testament calls hell. And as Christians, we need to be mindful of that because just as Jesus is concerned about it for his hearers, we should be passionate about this for those that we love, for, the, for our co-workers, for, for our neighbor, for our relatives who have not trusted in Jesus Christ. There's two groups of people on this earth. Some are on the narrow path through faith in Jesus Christ. The rest are on a path to destruction. There's no third path. Well, even a sadder commentary is verses 28 and 29. Because in verses 28 and 29, we find out that the people who've been listening to Jesus, they're amazed. Wow! This guy teaches with such authority. But the problem is this. Amazement does not equal belief. And we see in verses 28 and 29 that that Jesus has been claiming messianic authority. He's the one that the Old Testament points toward. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the one who will bring fulfillment to all of these Old Testament promises. He is God's son. He has paid for sin. He did rise from the dead. But it's not enough just to be amazed at that. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. You see, the scribes would have almost sounded like they were attorneys. They would have been using case law. Well, this decision was, was, they came with this decision here in this case and this decision here in this case. Therefore, that dictates how we should decide this case. The, the scribes would have said, well, this rabbi said this, and this rabbi said this, therefore that's what we should believe about this. But Jesus didn't quote any rabbis. He actually uses the first person pronoun, I. And he is claiming authority. He's actually saying that he will decide who enters the kingdom. People are amazed at this. But the problem is, amazement doesn't equal belief. I have a friend named Tom that I talk to about Jesus a lot. And I think the reason why Tom wanted to talk to me about Jesus is he enjoyed kind of making fun of me. In fact, one of our last conversations, he he said that studies have shown that the more educated people are, the less they will put, the less likely they will be Christians. Therefore... Jesus Christ is for the uneducated. He is a crutch for the emotionally and mentally weak. That's basically what his argument was. And I one day just looked straight at him and said, Tom, we've talked about this a lot. One day, you are going to die. And you are going to stand before Jesus Christ. And Jesus is going to say, why should I let you into heaven? And you are not going to have an answer. And he looked at me and said, well, you may be right. And that's that's the last we talked about it. You know, sometimes people are almost like a little child. Have you ever been around a little toddler that they kind of cover their eyes and they think by covering their eyes they make you disappear? 
You know, just because somebody says that Jesus is a myth does not make Jesus a myth. Just because somebody concludes there's more than one way to God does not negate the fact that Jesus is the only bridge to God. And believing something contrary to what Jesus has said is like a two-year-old covering their eyes saying, I don't think that's right, so it's not right. I don't think you're here because I don't see you. Therefore, you're not here. And Jesus, as he draws this to a conclusion, said there's two people, the wise person and the foolish person. And the wise person recognizes that Jesus is the narrow gate, the narrow path that leads to life. You know, some of the most powerful verses in the New Testament, I think, are found in Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Because Philippians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, shows us a glimpse of the end. I'm just going to read them. Philippians chapter 2, 10 and 11. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And what's so powerful about those verses is some of those people who will bow have stood in rejection of him and continue to stand in rejection of him. But they will acknowledge that he is Lord. They will acknowledge that he is God. They will acknowledge that he is the Messiah. Even though they acknowledge him through the rebelliousness of their heart. And will spend an eternity separated from him in that place called hell. For those of us who have entered through the narrow gate. Who have put our trust in Jesus Christ. These are joyous verses. Because we see that the culmination of God's plan. Is that every mouth will confess. Everyone will recognize finally. That Jesus Christ. Is who he says he is. So Jesus gives us this final warning. That the wise person believes Jesus' words. And does them. Does them by putting their trust in him as the only path that leads to life. You may be here today and you're not sure where you stand with God. Maybe you're like my hunting buddy who you're still kind of feeling like I've got to do more. And I would encourage you after the service, there's a room directly behind us called the prayer room. And in that room, we just have some material that you can just go back. One of our leaders here, one of our elders will be back there. And you can say, hey, can I have some of that material Pastor Steve was talking about? Or maybe you want to just get some for a friend of yours. Feel free just to stop back. It's it's the especially the first chapter. You can just take out your copy of the Bible and look up what the Bible claims about who Jesus is and how you can know for sure that you can be right with God, not by what we do, but by believing in the person of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for your word, that it's powerful, that our hope can rest in one place, 
can anchor in one rock the person of Jesus Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.